about 300 times. Next year, y'all go with me. I'll buy a bus. <laughs> Aren't they good? Bless them. That's good. Well, thank you, Mr. President. I've been telling all, all week, I've been telling folks all week long that the president has summoned me to preach. They said, well, when are you going to Washington? I said, no, the real president right here. I know you folks have the joy of being around this guy all the time, but we are blessed as Alabama Baptists to have this statesman among us. I want to thank you for loaning him to us, and he has made a tremendous impact on Alabama Baptists and this state convention. So thank you for allowing us to share him with you, and thank you for allowing us to be in your church just a few months ago. We were here for our Senior Adult Evangelism Conference. I'm telling you, your folks just blessed us with volunteers and uh, servers and parking attendants and air, uh, uh, unbelievable. We, I get to do this every year, but I've never had the kind of warm welcome that you folks gave. So thank you for letting us come and be in your church for that senior adult evangelism. And thank you for letting me come back. I was telling your pastor, I never get invited back. I'm always paid large sums of money not to come back. So it's a joy to get to come back with you. Thank you so very much. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I ask you to turn with me, please to the Gospel of Mark. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and knelt to him and asked him, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witnesses, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Wow. Wow. A young man comes into the very presence of the only begotten Son of God. Simply and point blank says, what do I need to do to be saved? Our Lord begins to share with him the commandments. This young man looks into the face of the Son of Yahweh God and said, I've kept those all my life. I've kept those since I was a boy. I want you to notice the text, our Lord let that pass. He didn't look him in the face and say, you're a liar. Now, would anyone this morning be willing to stand before your pastor, your guest preacher, and God, and say today, I've kept all the commandments all my life. Now, before you do that, I'm preaching on lying before I leave here. Why, no one would dare do that. And yet this young man looks into the face of the Son of God and said, I've done that, and our Lord let that pass. Now, if our Lord let that pass, could one thing make that much difference? I mean, come on now. Could one thing make that much difference? I'm a hunter. My dad's a member of a large family. Eleven in that family, ten of those are boys. The Gilberts will rule the world. 
But I saved up my paper route money and bought my first shotgun when I was 10 years old to be able to hunt with my dad and his brothers. I thought I had arrived when I was able to hunt on Sand Mountain with my dad. By the way, you are in for a treat. If you've not heard Ted Trailer, you are in for a blessing. Ted Trailer from Sand Mountain. I spent all of my growing up years up there. He and I were boyhood preachers on Sand Mountain early, early in our life. I started preaching when I was 14 years old. So you're in for a treat tonight and the rest of the week. But I thought I'd arrived when I hunted with my dad, so I've hunted all my life. When they told me my health had gotten so bad that I was going to have to stop hunting, I said, well, there's some things on my bucket list that I need to work on. I had a bucket list before the movie came out. And one of the things was I wanted to accomplish the Grand Slam. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you, but there are four turkey species in America. To accomplish the Grand Slam and be recognized by the Wild Turkey Federation, you have to kill each one of those in one hunting season. So opening day, I got my stuff and loaded my truck and went down to Leesburg, Florida to hunt the Osceola. Wound up taking the Osceola the first day and came back to Alabama that week, hunted there Friday and Saturday in Daleville, Alabama, and killed the Eastern that week. I thought, wow, I'm eight days into the season. I've got two of the four. Had to work the next week. The next weekend, I drove 22 hours nonstop up into Kansas, Nebraska to try to hunt the Rio. was fortunate enough that second day up there to take the Rio. I thought, I've got three of the four. I had a buddy up in the Dakotas, and I called him. I said, look, I'm trying to accomplish the Grand Slam. I've got three of the four. Have you got any turkeys on your place? He said, well, I don't know, but I've got a lot of land. You're welcome to come and hunt. I said, well, how far am I from you? He said, well, you couldn't be, but four hours maybe. Well, obviously, he flunked geography 12 hours later. I wound up getting up in North Dakota, and it was snowing. I never had hunted turkeys in the snow before. I was fortunate enough that second day to call in a nice big Miriam and harvest the Miriam. In fact, I've got the Miriam uh, stuffed and mounted in a full strut in my office at the Baptist building. So when I'm gone, there's always a turkey present, and we try to keep him there. But after I did that, and it... Wild Turkey Federation recognized that sporting shows got to picking it up and talk shows started talking about it and several things were written up in sports magazines about it. I started getting phone calls from around the country saying, hey, I read your story about the Grand Slam. Would you take me hunting? I didn't even know these people. I got a call from a guy in Louisville, Kentucky and said, hey, I read your story. He said, I've always wanted to hunt. Would you take me hunting? I said, well, I, I guess so. He said, I've always wanted to hunt the Osceola. And I said, well, I've got a farm down in Florida that I hunt on. He said, good, I'll fly out into Orlando. Pick me up. Well, okay, and I got ready and got a date and threw my stuff in the truck and drove down and picked him up in Orlando, and I thought, I better go over with this guy how I hunt. He may not hunt like I hunt. He may not know anything about hunting. And I told him, I said, now the next morning, we'll go in the woods real early. I'll put you at the base of a tree. I'll put two or three decoys out in front of you. I'm going to get behind you with a camera, and I'll film it for you. Right at daylight, I'm going to owl call. About 200 yards out there, a big old gobbler's going to gobble, and I'm going to yelp to him. He's going to pitch down. I'm going to yelp to him. He's going to come right here to these decoys. When he does, just kill him. You can just see the wheels turning in his mind like, yeah, right. Next morning, got him out there, put the decoys out, got him at the tree, got behind him. Right at daylight, I owl called. Big old gobbler, about 200 yards, gobbled out there. I didn't know there was a gobbler within 10 miles of there. But you had to tell him something. He flew in from Louisville. And so, big old gobbler gobbled. I yelped to him. He gobbled, pitched down. It looked like I had him on a string. Every time his foot hit the ground, he'd gobble. He saw the decoys. He was just coming. I said, this is going to be a classic. I got my camera up. I said, this will be in every sports highlight reel in the country. And he walked up. I saw this guy raise his brand new Benelli. Click. 
Click! I never have wanted to shoot a hunter before. <laughs> everything was perfect. I mean, everything was perfect except one thing. He failed to load the gun. You see, one thing does make a difference if you're hunting and you don't load the gun. I raised American Quarter Horses and rodeo was a hobby. We had a big mare, had a lot of money in her, and real proud of her, and bred her to a great stallion. We were anxiously waiting on that colt to come. And went down that morning, she had the prettiest filly standing by her that you've ever seen. I'm telling you, she was just gorgeous. I know I'm prejudiced, but she was really pretty. I had an old cowboy buddy used to tell me, when a colt's born, make sure they got a leg on every corner. And I was checking legs, make sure she had four legs and two ears and two eyes and all the things daddies do. And I was checking on her, made sure she's okay. And while I was inspecting the baby, I noticed that the mother the mare, had no milk. I don't know whether you understand horses or not, but the colt cannot live. The colt gets its immune system from the colostrum it gets from mama. It cannot live. I called the vet and I said, my mare has got no milk and I've got a filly standing here. He said, Sammy, the filly will die. I said, she cannot die. I got too much money. I told my wife, call every veterinarian, every neighbor we got. I got more money in this colt than you and the kids put together. She cannot die. And he said, I'll call all the vets and we'll get all the colostrum we've got frozen. We'll bring it to you. And my son and I started around the clock every four hours feeding her with a bottle. We wound up putting some brown sugar on the nipple of that bottle. She liked that sweet taste. She got so good, she'd sit down in the back of the car and take the bottle. She's a lot better behaved than my kids. I'm telling you, she's wonderful. She began to grow and finally got her on some solid food. And a week turned into a month, month, two or three months. I said, this baby's going to make it. Three or four months, I'm telling you, she just began to muscle up and because we'd had that early bonding, she was just teachable. I called a buddy of mine who shows and competes on the world stage. I said, I want you to come look at a filly. And he came to my farm and I let her out of the stall. He said, my soul, Sammy, where'd you get this filly? I told him the story. He said, Sammy, this may be the best filly this side of the Mississippi. He said, in fact, she may be the best filly in America today. And I said, if you believe that, would you campaign her for the world's championship? He said, absolutely. Put her in his trailer and took her home. He'd call me every week or so and say, man, this filly's come along. She's muscling up. She's just going to be incredible. Several months went by, and I was in Mobile preaching. He called me and said, Sammy, can you get to Atlanta, Georgia? I said, well, when? He said, this weekend. I said, no, I'm preaching. Why? He said, well, there's a pre-world contest in Atlanta, Georgia. Every world-class filly in America will be there. And if we can win this pre-world contest, when we go to Columbus, Ohio for the world's championship, it'll be just a formality. We will have won, and we will be named world champion. And he said, I believe we've got a chance. And I said, man, sure. Call me and let me know. He said, I believe we've got the best filly out there. I carry an iPhone with me everywhere I go. I never will forget the, the message I got on my iPhone. It rang, and here's what I heard through the hysteria. I just forgot to latch the trailer. I'm doing 75 miles an hour on I-85 going into Atlanta, Georgia. The vibration of that interstate vibrated that door loose and it swung open. And that filly did what she'd been taught to do. She backed out of that trailer 75 miles an hour on Interstate I-85. Everything was perfect. We had a world's championship in our hands. Just like one thing, a little safety pin 
in a trailer latch. You see, one thing does make a difference if you don't load the shotgun. One thing does make a difference if you fail to put the trailer latch pin in. And one thing does matter if you fail to invite Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. One thing does make a difference. How is it that intelligent people just like here today would come to a worship service like this and knowing they lack at least one thing, yet they'll walk out those doors, get in their car and go about some kind of normalcy of life knowing that they lack one thing. How is it that intelligent people would do that? Well, I've come up with at least three things, maybe others, but at least three. First of all, we can do that because we've learned to rationalize our conduct. You see, today we're saying, hey, wait a minute. Uh, I'm as good a daddy as anybody in that church. I'm as good a mom as in there. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a good citizen. I vote. I teach uh, little boys basketball and peewee football and baseball. I coach little girls softball. I work with the PTA. I'm a volunteer at the church. I do disaster relief, sing in the choir, travel with the senior adults, go on youth groups. I'm as good as any deacon or any pastor down there. And you're probably right. The problem is you're comparing yourself to the wrong person. Doesn't matter how you stack up against the deacon, the preacher, the Sunday school teachers. How do you stack up against the Lord? You see, we've learned to rationalize our conduct. We just make everything okay. We're learning to spin everything. We've learned that from the media. So we rationalize our conduct. I was telling you that Ted Trailer and I grew up on Sand Mountain. If you grew up on Sand Mountain, you learn two things. You learn a whole lot about Southern gospel music. I understand you had a Southern gospel thing not long ago. And you learn a whole lot about uh, country music. Uh, and, and you learn on Sand Mountain, if you preach in the cuff of your pants are not wet, when you finish, you're a liberal. That's just the way that goes. So I grew up with southern gospel music and country music. I married a girl from First Baptist Huntsville, Alabama. Their choir sang their music in Latin. Can you spell culture shock when you put the two of us together? But we're both learning to like all different kinds of music. I, now don't get mad at me. I left my car running. I, I like even good country music. Now the operative word there is good. So I want you to listen to a sound bite. I've had choices Since the day that I was born There were voices but told me right from wrong if I had listened No, I wouldn't be here today Living and dying with the choices I've made George Jones Possum Womanizer Alcoholic Drug addict a number one thug married a lady to try to get his life squared away. For a long, long time, they called him No Show Jones. He'd be too high, or too drunk, even to make a show. Married a lady to try to get his life squared away and was well on the way to doing that. George Jones had a country music songwriters party in Nashville, Tennessee to attend, and he made a colossal mistake. 
He failed to remember that once you're addicted to alcohol, even though you're dry, you're still addicted to alcohol. He went to that songwriter's party and took a drink, and another, and another. Left that songwriter's party and drove his Jeep Grand Cherokee into a bridge abutment in Nashville. He lay in a coma for weeks and weeks. Most of us thought that he would never come out of that coma. When he did come out of the coma, he recorded choices. I am where I am today because of choices I've made. Vestal Goodman, if you know anything about southern gospel music, sang with the Goodman family for years. Vestal Goodman, concerned about him, went to his home and led him to the Lord. I thought, what a message. You see, everyone here this morning, we are where we are today in life because of choices we've made. And in just a moment, every person in this building is going to make a choice. In just a few moments, you're going to decide, you're going to choose whether to invite Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord, or if you're a believer, whether to recommit your life to Him, or you're going to choose to walk out of these doors just like you came in. You can say, oh, I'm not about to make that choice. Oh, you're going to make that choice because I'm going to give you and you're going to have to decide. You're going to have to make that choice. I'm going to pray these next few minutes that you don't make a bad choice. But you see, folks, we are so very bad to rationalize our conduct. We're already beginning to think, if that redneck will hush, I'll get out of here and get to Sunday school and I won't have to deal with this a while. Or I'll get back in school and I won't have to think about this. I'll go back to work tomorrow. I'm a good guy. I'm a good lady. You're rationalizing your conduct. Not only do we rationalize our conduct, but we tranquilize the consequences. We really do not want to think about our bad choices. Now, rodeo is a hobby. I was riding a big yellow horse, and I said as we started off, just buck your heart out. You couldn't throw me if you bucked a week. Don't ever say that. Between the time I said that and the time I was going to get off near the end of the arena, the cinch broke. Roll me up under the horse. Saturday night, I'm sitting on the emergency room table at the hospital. Doctor comes in, puts all the little x-rays up there, looks at them, looks at them, turns to me and said, Mr. Gilbert, what kind of automobile accident were you in? I said, well, I wasn't in an automobile accident. Why? He said, well, you have five broken ribs, a punctured lung, and a ruptured hip. What in the world happened to you? Now I've got to try to explain it to him. But it came to me quickly. I said, well, doctor, let's say it like this. Let's just say bucking horse one, cowboy nothing. He said, my soul, you weren't riding a bucking horse. I said, not long. (laughs) He said, you evidently don't understand how serious this is. I said, I'm beginning to. He said, no, you don't. He said, you don't understand that you're not going to be allowed to lay down and sleep. For six weeks, you'll have to sleep sitting up. You lay down, you could take one of those broken ribs, drive it into your lung and bleed to death. You'll have to sleep sitting up. He said, you're not going to be allowed to drive for six weeks. He said, you're not going to be allowed to work for six weeks. I said, whoa. I said, I'm state evangelism director. We start 14 weeks of revival in the morning Sunday on Here's Hope America. I said, I've got 14 straight weeks of revival. I can't call 14 Alabama Baptist churches and tell them I have to cancel the revival that they've had booked for over two years because a horse kicked my head off. I said, can't you just give me a tranquilizer and let me go on? 
He said, I can, but you won't know what you've said. And he did, and I don't. Man, that stuff's something. Holy cow. I'm convinced that's what we want. Just give me a tranquilizer. Don't let me think of the consequences. The First Baptist Pelham fails to reach this community. Don't let me think of the consequences if I fail to tell my grandchild. Don't let me think of the consequences if I fail to tell the students that I go to school with. Don't let me think of the consequences of my own family if I fail to live in front of them what I know is right. I am where I am today, remember, because of choices I made. So we rationalize our conduct and we tranquilize the consequences. Every choice has a consequence. And in just a few moments, you're going to make the most important choice of your life. In just a moment, you're going to have the opportunity to choose a decision for Christ that affects all eternity. We all make decisions every day that really have no bearing. This is a choice that will impact eternity. It will decide where you're going to spend eternal life. What a choice. It is going to be my prayer that you will not make a bad choice. So, we rationalize our conduct. We tranquilize the consequences. And we compromise the cure. I'm not trying to start a fight this morning. Not trying to be political. But I am fed up to hear with our country telling us everybody's going to heaven. We're all just alike. We're just getting there through different ways. That's a lie out of hell. There is only one way. You say, that's not politically correct. Guilty as charged. There is only one way. The blood of Calvary. It affects every student. It affects every senior adult. It affects every young couple. It affects every child. It is the blood of Calvary plus nothing. And it's amazing today how we will compromise our cure. We don't mean to. It's just easier to talk to somebody about joining the church than it is about accepting Christ. Come be a member of our Sunday school class. Come be in the choir. Come be a part of disaster relief. But we never get around to talking about inviting Christ to be Savior and Lord of our life. One thing thou lackest. Good student, good mom or dad, good church member, good citizen. There's never been a time in your life where you invited Christ to be Savior and Lord of your life. I was in a rodeo in Louisville, Kentucky. Freedom Hall is where the University of Louisville played basketball for years. They got a new arena last year. It's a great basketball arena. It's a marvelous rodeo arena. I got there and checked in with the registrar, and I said, how are things going? He said, outstanding. I thought, that's an odd answer. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, oh, we put a mechanical bull out in the mall, and we're charging a dollar to ride the mechanical bull, and we're going to let the winner of the mechanical bull riding contest have a free entrance fee to ride the first bull out of the chute on Saturday night. I said, why, you've lost your mind. He said, no, they're lined up out there by the hundreds. I loaded the first bull 
in the shoot on Saturday night, bodacious. Oh, you've seen him on television. 2,200 pounds of pure hate. He died of a respiratory illness last fall. He has a son on the bucking circuit now called Bodacious II. Loaded Bodacious. The place got deathly quiet. That's a terrible term to describe what's about to happen. Got deathly quiet for the reading of the name of the winner of the mechanical bull riding contest. Read the name all the way across the arena, up the mezzanine, on the upper deck against the back wall. I heard this voice. Down the upper deck, the mezzanine floor, down on the bucking floor, and came around behind the bucking chutes. I said, young man, I feel like I owe you something. Are you sure you want to do this? He said, well, I'm just about fed up with how tough you cowboys think you are. I'm going to show you riding these bulls ain't as hard as it seems. And I said, help yourself. <laughs> I'm not trying to be crude this morning, but his boots had never seen manure. He had on those French jeans, J.C. Penney. The little plastic tag was still hanging in the loop on the back of his western shirt. He had a white Stetson hat on, didn't have a fingerprint on it. Climbed up over the chute, dropped down on Bodacious, pulled the rigging tight, wrapped his hand, he took his free hand, cocked his... Stetson hat to one side said, let's out. I've never been so glad to open a gate in all my life. <laughs> I've had to repent of that, Pastor, often, but I was so glad. Open the gate, bodacious, 2,200 pounds, jumped straight up, all four feet off the ground at the same time. He fell off in the chute. He fell off in the chute. He didn't even get out in the arena. He fell off in the chute. It looked like one of those Saturday Sylvester the Cat cartoons. Bodacious just stayed in the chute and tap danced all over him. We drug him out from under there with a sponge. And I think of that a lot. You see, ladies and gentlemen, you can put on boots and blue jeans a western shirt and a cowboy hat. It won't make you a bull rider. You can attend First Baptist Church Pelham. You can be a good husband, a good wife, a good mom, a good dad, a good student, a good citizen, and die without Christ. One thing thou lackest. George Jones said, I am where I am today because of choices I've made. You're about to make the most important choice of your life. Don't make a bad choice. Would you pray with me? Our musicians are going to come and just play softly. We won't sing. We'll just have some soft music playing. The invitation is going to be very clear. Your pastor and staff will be here to greet you whether you're on the back row of the balcony, whether you're on the main floor. Friend, listen to me, please, with our heads bowed. Oh, please, don't make a bad choice this morning. 
so easy to start rationalizing our conduct, tranquilizing the consequences, not thinking about the consequences, and compromising the cure, just trying to be better and trying to work our way. You'll never work long enough to earn salvation. Bought, paid for by the blood of Calvary. Father, I thank you for our time. God, I pray this morning from the balcony to the main floor that we'll not make a bad choice. Lord, for that young man, that senior adult, that student that's already beginning to rationalize their conduct, God, would you allow the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit to draw them. Lord, they need to come right here to this pastor and staff and invite you to be their Savior. Lord, there are members of this church that need to come, uh, become a member. There are people visiting that need to become members of this church. Father, there are people in this room today that have made bad choices. Lord, I pray that you will draw them today and help them understand that you forgive bad choices. God, do a work in this place, but don't let us make another bad choice. Lead us and guide us. Now with our heads bowed, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand in the balcony and on the main floor. My friend, if you're not absolutely certain this morning that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, don't make a bad choice. In just a moment when we stand, I want you to start walking. Come right here with this pastor's staff. Inviting Christ. One thing thou lack. Oh, you're a good student, good mom or dad, but don't leave here without Christ. Maybe, just maybe, you said, Brother Sammy, I know I've been saved. To the best of my ability, I believe my life is where it ought to be. Then if you're absolutely certain this morning that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, and if you can name one person by name who does not know Christ, I'm going to ask you to come out of the balcony, come off of this main floor, and come right over here by me, and just kneel, sit, or stand and pray for that person by name. Please don't come and pray in generalities. I want you to think of one person in your mind's eye. I want you to see how they look. I want you to see the color of their hair, the color of their eyes. I want you to imagine how you'd feel in the morning if the person you're thinking about slips out into eternity. Would you be willing to come and just kneel, sit, or stand? and pray specifically for one person. What a way to begin our revival. But oh, dear friend, don't make a bad choice. If you're not absolutely certain this morning that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, I beg you to come to this staff. Let them lead you to pray that prayer and invite Christ to be your Savior and Lord. With our heads bowed, would you stand with me, please? I'm going to voice another very brief prayer, and I'm going to ask you out of the balcony, without apology,